You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So this is going to be one of those episodes that's being driven by the news, but it's got some legal ramifications for employers out there. So if you're a labor attorney, a labor relations professional, or in human resources, and if you're responsible for training supervisors and managers on how to communicate during union organizing campaigns, you're going to want to pay attention to this episode. Because if you're not keeping up with what's happening at the National Labor Relations Board almost on a daily basis and adjusting your approach accordingly, your typical tips and faux training is likely outdated. It's probably woefully inadequate and could very possibly cost you your client or your company an unfair labor practice charge. So before I begin, I'm going to give you a bit of a disclaimer. Number one, this episode of Labor Relations Radio should not be considered legal advice. I'm not a labor attorney. If you think that you're under the threat of unionization, or even if you're not, but suspect that you could be at some point in the future, I strongly encourage you to seek competent legal advice from a competent labor attorney. And I'm going to underscore that. Seek competent legal advice from a competent labor attorney. You don't want to go out and just hire your your family's attorney or your family law attorney or somebody that does wills. You want to find somebody who actually practices labor law. Number two, a bit of a fair warning. In today's environment, with the current NLRB, what you say and how you say it today might be entirely lawful, but it could be ruled unlawful tomorrow. So again, this is not legal advice. And number three, finally, as we're going to be discussing topics related to the National Labor Relations Act, as well as the National Labor Relations Board, I strongly recommend that you download the NLRB's Basic Guide to the National Labor Relations Act, which I'll be providing a link to under the audio portion of this episode, as we'll be referring to it throughout the episode. So again, I'm not a labor attorney, and although I've been dealing with union issues for close to four decades and have slept at a, at a Holiday Inn from time to time, I'm not here to give you legal advice. Got it? Cool. So that's the disclaimer. Now, a moment ago, I mentioned the NLRB's Basic Guide to the National Labor Relations Act because although I've got an office full of textbooks, papers, other resources, this document is by far the best resource to teach labor relations to managers as well as employees. And if you haven't read it, you should, at least twice, if not more. So here's the news headline that came out last week from law.com. NLRB legal chief takes on legality of common employer anti-unionization tactic. Quote, National Labor Relations Board General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo is asserting that it is illegal for employers to tell workers who are considering unionizing that they would be giving up their right to interact directly with management. 
It is Abruzzo's latest challenge to longstanding employer practices she believes break the law and unfairly tilt the high-stakes votes on unionization petitions toward employers. In the advice memo issued January 31st, Abruzzo cited these examples of statements she might find unlawful. Quote, if you sign a union card, you'll be giving up your right to speak for yourself and represent yourself. Or, you can't just come to me, manager, anymore, you have to go to your union rep, end quote. So what's Miss Abruzzo talking about? Well, essentially what Miss Abruzzo is talking about is how employers and their agents explain to employees how the relationship changes once employees unionize. Now, before we address this specifically, let's set the foundation a little bit. As most of you know, under Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act, employees, union and non-union, have what are considered Section 7 rights. That includes the right to unionize as well as to engage in other protected concerted activities such as acting in concert to address workplace issues. They also have the right not to do that. In their Section 7 rights, that also includes, by the way, the right to strike and even non-union employees have the right to strike. But we're going to focus on the communications aspect of this and employers, as most of you probably know, have the right to communicate to employees about their feelings with regard to unionization, so long as it's done lawfully. So for employers, oftentimes people in management or supervisors are taught what is commonly called the do's and don'ts. Some of you who are familiar with the do's and don'ts know that a lot of times it's referred to as the term tips and foe which I mentioned earlier. On the don't side, things that you cannot do as an employer, TIPS stands for, it's an acronym that stands for do not or you may not threaten, interrogate, promise, or spy, or surveil. However, it's, it's more nuanced than merely TIPS, the threaten, interrogate, promise, or spy. In fact, I usually turn this around when I'm doing management training or supervisory training to don't spit. And there's a reason for that, a couple of reasons, actually. A, it's easier to remember than don't tips. Don't spit is easier to remember. And B, because when I'm doing management and supervisory training, it allows me to focus on the I and the T last and spend more time on it because that's where most supervisors and managers tend to slip up. So before we get to what employers are allowed to do, let's talk generally about what employers are not allowed to do. And this is as they're speaking to employees either one-on-one -on -one or in groups. Now, as I go through this with you, I'm going to be going through a PowerPoint presentation that's often presented to managers and supervisors. And I'm making this PowerPoint presentation available to all of you paid subscribers under the audio portion of this episode. If you want access to it, you can become a paid subscriber and you'll have it as well. It's generally more comprehensive than a lot of tips and faux presentations. And if you're in HR or labor relations and responsible for management training, I encourage you to download it, share it with your labor attorney, make sure that he or she is comfortable with it before using it to talk to your supervisors and managers. So let's get started. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Now, 
As we begin, it's important to know that these rules, these do's and don'ts, if you will, apply to everybody who can be considered an agent of the employer. So what is an agent of the employer? Well, obviously it would be supervisors, managers, your C-suite executives, your HR department, or anybody else that could be deemed an agent of the employer doing the employer's bidding. That could be consultants. It could be somebody that you bring in, a former employee, for example, could be considered an agent of the employer. Now, for agents of employers, it's important to know that there are no off-the-record conversations. This should be obvious. Everything that is said by an agent of the employer is as though the employer is saying it. So whether it's on the clock or off the clock, whether it's over the water cooler or over the Thanksgiving table at friends' houses or at relatives' houses, everything is on the record. Oftentimes, employers um, will instruct their supervisors and managers if the supervisors happen to be friends with employees, don't go to so-and-so's wedding or don't go to so-and-so's uh, party if, in fact, that so-and-so, that employee, is an employee in a voting unit or bargaining unit. The reason for that is, is it is easy to get set up at a party or wedding or whatever where a conversation around a group of employees takes place and the agent of the employer slips up or says something that they think is off the record because they're not at work. And again, everything is always on the record, both on and off the clock. Now, as we go through these don'ts, and we're going to do the don'ts first, um, it's important to remember that I'm just giving a broad overview here of some of the major things that employers or their agents are not allowed to do. The easy way that I do it is don't spit. So spit stands for, as I mentioned earlier, don't spy, don't promise, don't interrogate, don't threaten. In addition to that, Employers should not have conversations with employees in what are considered coercive environments. If you're having a conversation about unionization, for example, it shouldn't take place in a supervisor's office, typically. The reason for that is because a coercive environment, a supervisor's office, is generally viewed as a coercive environment because that's where discipline takes place, coaching, counseling, etc. So it's been a longstanding rule with the board that Dragging an employee into a supervisor's office to talk about unionization issues is generally a coercive environment and deemed coercive. However, if an employee comes into the supervisor's office and wants to have a conversation about it, that's a different issue. Now, let's cover the SPIT part of this. So the first part is don't spy. Spying on employees who are engaging in union activities is considered unlawful. Examples of that would be employer agents, supervisors, managers, anybody else going to union meetings. That could be considered unlawful spying. Employer agents sitting outside of union meetings to record who's going in or out. Again, unlawful. Asking or demanding unit employees, those employees who would be in a bargaining unit, to attend union meetings and report back, that would be considered unlawful. Now, if an employee volunteers information, that's entirely different. But instructing people to go to a union meeting, to spy on the union meeting, that would be considered unlawful. Installing surveillance equipment, once an employer has learned of union organizing activity, that could be considered unlawful. 
or creating the impression that any of that stuff is going on, again, unlawful. That would be, for example, saying to employees, if they said, hey, there's a union meeting last night, and you said, oh, yeah, we know all about it. Well, that how would you know about it unless you're spying on employees or creating the impression of surveillance? Now, that's the S part. The second part is P, don't make promises. Making promises of better wages or better benefits or we're going to fix this or fix that if you don't unionize, that would be considered unlawful. Any kind of quid pro quo, if you don't do this, i.e. unionize, will do that. That would be unlawful. Promises of promotion can also be considered unlawful. So those are the S and the P. Moving on, and this is where sometimes people get tripped up, is don't interrogate. Now, oftentimes when you think of interrogation, you're thinking of the bright, shiny light and, you know, grilling people. Well, any kind of question, unless it's about the football game or, you know, how was your weekend, any type of question with relating to either unionization, how the employee feels about unionization, any type of question could be considered interrogation. So just don't ask questions, period. Don't ask employees if they signed union authorization cards. Don't ask employees if they attended a union meeting. Don't ask employees if they support a union. How do you feel about the union? That sort of thing. Don't ask employees how so-and-so feels about the union. Any other employees. Just don't ask questions. All right? Now, we're going to come back to that in just a minute. So lastly, you don't want to make threats. A threat is any kind of predictive statement with a negative consequence at the end. If you do this, that will happen. And whatever that is, is bad, right? So that's a threat. So for example, if you unionize, this will happen, whatever that negative consequence is. You will go out on strike. Now, unlawful. So predictive statements with a negative consequence, again, are generally going to be considered a threat. So you want to be careful with making will type statements. This will happen. So the other thing that you don't want to do, and these are some red flag terms, is state to employees that if you unionize, things will be frozen. Frozen is different than status quo. And this is a mistake that oftentimes is made when people say, oh, if the union comes in, your wages and benefits are going to be frozen. They're not in frozen. They're not frozen as though nothing will ever change for however long bargaining takes place. What happens is they go into what's called status quo. So whatever our past practice was, whatever we've done in the past. So, for example, if every April 1st, the company allows a wage increase or does a wage increase, if they're in bargaining, typically that wage increase would continue. And there's some legal nuances to this, and I'm not going to go into them very deeply, but basically you're in status quo for our long bargaining takes. Things don't go up. They don't go down. They stay the same. Although, if you have a past practice of doing certain things, those past practices would continue. The other terms that are are frowned upon by the National Labor Relations Board is bargaining starts from zero, or bargaining starts with a blank sheet of paper, or bargaining starts from scratch. Again, considered a threat because not only is it inaccurate, it's also misleading and doesn't happen that way. So therefore, if you said you unionize, everything goes down to zero and you have to work your way back up, that would be unlawful. The correct way to state that is 
in bargaining, what happens with employees is everything that they currently have can go onto a bargaining table and it will stay in status quo for however long bargaining takes. Could be a week, a month, six months or a year. Every negotiation is different. And as a result of negotiations, things could get improved. They could get better. They could stay the same or they could be taken away. And it depends on the bargaining. It depends on, you know, what happens at the table. Again, key phrase, every negotiation is different. On top of that, and this gets a little bit more nuanced, again, there's a term called solicitation of grievances. Employers should not solicit grievances. A solicitation of grievances is typically asking employees why they want a union, asking employees what the employer could do differently or better, or asking employees what their concerns are. All of those are considered soliciting grievances, and it's considered not only interrogation, but also it's got an implied promise that the employer, once hearing those grievances, would fix them. This has always been the case, and it's surprising that a lot of people are not trained on this. Let me give you an example of something that I heard earlier this week. Can you help average person at home watching this? Maybe wondering, yeah. why can't you run a successful with unions? You're so profitable. Why doesn't that work? Well, first off, you know, I've, asked, I've asked a few people who have signed a union card to petition. Can you tell me what you want? Yeah. Okay, so that clip was on CNN earlier this week, and I tried as best I could to edit out the company name, but as a CEO of a major company who has a lot of union issues going on, but I used that as an example. When I heard that, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like solicitation of grievances, and I don't know the context in which it actually happened, but the way it was expressed on CNN was a bit mm, dicey, if you will. In any case, you don't want to solicit grievances. Now, as I go on to these next two issues, realize that they are not currently ruled upon as being unlawful. They are what GC General Counsel Jennifer Abruzzo would like to make unlawful. One of them is what started this episode or was the impetus for this episode, and that is do not say to employees that they cannot come to you directly if they're unionized. Under the law, once unionized, an employer cannot bargain with individual employees, with a group of employees, or with another employee representative. All right, so that's that's the change in dynamics in the relationship. However, under Section 9A of the National Labor Relations Act, it provides that any individual employee or a group of employees shall have the right at any time to present grievances to their employer and to have such grievances adjusted without the intervention of the bargaining representative. Now, that's actually in the basic guide to the National Labor Relations Act that we were talking about earlier. Provided, number one, the adjustment is not inconsistent with the terms of any collective bargaining agreement, then and in effect, and number two, and this is also very important, the bargaining representative has been given the opportunity to be present at such adjustment. 
So in other words, although the employer cannot bargain with individual employees, with a group of employees, or with another employee representative, employees do have the right to present their grievances to the employer for adjustment. However, the bargaining representative has the right, excuse me, the right to be in the middle. And it can't be inconsistent with whatever contract the bargaining representative, i.e. the union, has negotiated. So that's a little bit of a change in how it needs to be expressed to employees. You have to, you can talk about once you're unionized, you can't bargain with us as individual employees or another group of employees or another employee representative. Can't deal with you directly that way. However, you can still present your grievances, but the union gets the right to sit in the middle and it can't be inconsistent with whatever else the union has negotiated. Does that make sense? That's what Jennifer Abruzzo, the general counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, is coming down with in her interpretation that it is misleading and therefore unlawful to say it without that other caveat at the end. Now, the other thing that is currently in the works uh, and has been for some time now, about a year, is that Jennifer Abruzzo, General Counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, wants to ban employers' right to have what are known as captive audience meetings or mandatory meetings to hear about union issues. Now, her view is that even one-on-one conversations on the factory floor or the hospital floor, whatever, one-on-one conversations between a supervisor or agent of the employer and an employee is considered a captive audience meetings. A meeting, group meetings, informational meetings, those sort of things, anything that is about the employee's rights under Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act or unionization, collective bargaining, all that sort of stuff, that has to be a voluntary meeting. So ensure that your employees know that any kind of discussions are voluntary and they're free to end the discussion or leave the meeting whenever they want. Without penalty, most of the time, people are concerned about their inability to schedule meetings. Most, not all employees, will want to know how unions can impact their employment and will likely be open to hearing honest and factual information. Another thing that employer agents should be instructed on is to not talk to union officials. Sometimes you'll see union officials standing outside a gate or trying to engage managers, supervisors, and goad them into committing unfair labor practices, etc. So employer agents should not speak with union officials. The other thing they should not do is accept or handle what appears to be signed union authorization cards. And the reason for that goes way back to where unions would sometimes get a majority of employees to sign authorization cards, approach the employer or the employer's agents, and trick them into taking the cards, like a stack of signed cards, as if an employer's agent were to accept signed union authorization cards, the union can make the claim that the the employer voluntarily recognized the union without an election. So it doesn't happen all that frequently these days. It's an old time trick, but just be aware that it, it could happen where a union were to get a employer agent to accept cards and then make the case that the union is automatically in without an election. So that's kind of the broad overview. And again, this is a broad overview. There's probably some things that I'm leaving out here. But 
This is why you want to make sure that you're kept up to date through your labor attorney as to what is appropriate speech, what is not. So now let's talk about what is lawful speech, what you're allowed to talk about. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So as we begin talking about what employers are allowed to do, it should stand to reason, and I think most of you know this, that the rules of what employers are not allowed to do don't always apply to unions. Unions are legally allowed to get away with a lot more than employers are. And there's a history to that, and that is that employers typically have more power than unions. So unions are given greater leeway to make promises, to interrogate people, etc. They shouldn't be threatening people, although you sometimes you hear about that. In any case, as I cover that stuff, I want to also make sure that you, if you're an employer or an agent of the employer, are aware that you do not have to keep your mouth shut as long as you comply with the law. You are allowed to express your opinion. And for those of you that have gone through the, quote, do's and don'ts training, you're probably familiar with the term foe. Now, when I do do's and don'ts training, I actually add a letter to that. So it's not just F-O-E, it's F-L-O-E, like ice flow. So there is a purpose for that. And as we cover this, let's kind of cover what you're allowed to do as we go through this in order. So if you're an employer or an agent of the employer, you do have the right to engage with your employees as long as you're not spying, you're not making promises, you're not interrogating, soliciting grievances, etc., and not threatening. But you can give employees facts. For example, you are legally allowed to talk about the law, what collective bargaining is all about, the fact that the law does not compel either party to agree to a proposal or even require them to have a contract. You can talk about strikes as long as you're not threatening employees that they will go out on strike, but you can educate employees. You also have the right to listen to employees, and that's something that is sometimes lost with employers. And I, I inserted this L many, many years ago because I actually had a manager one time who stated on a conference call that an employee had come to talk to him and was volunteering information. And the manager said, I can't talk to you about this and like basically covered up his ears and ran away. You have the right to listen to employees if they so choose to volunteer information. The other thing you're allowed to do is give your opinion. If, for example, you believe that you don't need a union, you can express that. And I would add that you should probably tell employees why you're basing your opinion on whatever it is. You have the right to say, I don't think we need a union. I don't believe unions are necessary, that sort of thing. As long as your opinion doesn't contain a promise or a threat, you're entitled to your opinion. I don't believe unions are necessary. Okay, why? Now, the last thing that you're allowed to do is give examples or experiences. You can share your experience. If you've been a union member and out on strike, you can share that. Or a dues-paying member who never needed the union, you can share that. That's an experience. You can give examples of cases that you've seen over the years, newspaper articles, etc. That Those are all things you're allowed to do lawfully. Now, I've added to that flow, so to speak, uh, a while back, and it was just kind of making something up. But it was essentially, as opposed to just flow, you could add a couple more 
and it's very similar, but this is do flower power, flower. And that's an, again, an acronym, provide facts, listen to employees, give your opinion, tell them why, give examples or experiences, and then respond to questions. If employees are considering unionization, they're probably only hearing from one side. If you provide a fact, it may raise questions or employees may ask how you feel about it. Take the opportunity to explain it to them. It's not difficult as long as you don't spit. So that kind of covers some of the nuances of the do's and don'ts. In today's environment, your your need is to be more specific, more nuanced, and to parse out the statements more so than in years past. You probably should have always been doing it. Again, I'm somewhat legalistic when I when I give do's and don'ts training, um, and part of the reason for that is I read cases a lot and I see where people slip up. So. As we wrap up this episode of Labor Relations Radio, I want to strongly encourage you to download a copy of the NLRB's Basic Guide to the National Labor Relations Act. As I mentioned earlier, it is by far the best resource to understanding labor law and how unions operate, collective bargaining, strikes, and all that sort of stuff. We use it in training both with employers, agents of their employers, supervisors, managers, etc., as well as handing it out to employees and covering it with them so that they understand the decision that they make and what we're talking about with respect to the law. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. I'm going to be leaving a lot of links under this episode, going straight to the NLRB's uh, website, as well as the PowerPoint that I just went through for paid subscribers. If you have any questions, reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.